You're listening to a UCD Humanities Institute podcast. This podcast series features recordings of lectures, seminars and events hosted by or associated with the University College Dublin Humanities Institute. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, Spotify and on SoundCloud. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to ucd.ie forward slash humanities. In this episode, a recording of the Humanities Institute's annual Distinguished Guest Lecture. The 2020 lecture was given by Professor Gillian Rose, Professor of Human Geography at the University of Oxford. Professor Rose's paper was entitled Feeling the Future City, Digital Devices, Big Data and Being Human. Professor Rose was introduced by Director of UCD Humanities Institute, Professor Anna Fuchs. It is my very great pleasure to welcome Professor Gillian Rose, who is an internationally renowned geographer at Oxford University. Prior to her current post, she taught at the Open University, the University of London, and at Edinburgh University. In 2015, Gillian was elected a Fellow of the British Academy, and in 2018, she became a Fellow of the Academy of Social Sciences. Now, I first came across uh, Gillian's work through her book, Feminism and Geography, The Limits to Geographical Knowledge, which was published in 1993, and which was a very groundbreaking publication, which made a significant contribution to the emerging field, field of feminist geography. While feminism and geography adopted a largely post-structural critique of masculine, masculinist geographies, her work is generally characterized by a sustained interest in the politics of knowledge production and visual culture. So her book, Doing Family Phot Photography, The Domestic, the Public and the Politics of Sentiment, which was published in 2010, then explored the different politics of sentiment in which family snaps participate in both their domestic spaces and in the sphere of mass media. And I would say that her work always engages with a large body of theory, and she's always interested in employing innovative ways to produce social science research, especially with reference to visual materials. And so it's not surprising that the fourth edition of her book, Visual Methodologies, was published in 2016. Gillian's interest in how images mediate relations with places, spaces, and landscapes also informs her current research and how cities are being transformed by data streams, digital visualizations, software, image sharing platforms, and social media, and so on. And she has received various grants from the ESRC in this respect, for example, to explore um, uh, the smart city in Milton Keynes and Bedford, or for example, in 2013, she completed a collaborative research project called Architectural Atmospheres, Branding and the Social, the Role of Digital Visualizing Technologies in Contemporary Architectural Practice. And this comprised um, a two-year study of computer-generated images and their role in the architectural design process. And I think it was this project which also prompted her to think more about digital visualization technologies in the city. And in 2017 and 18, she led another ESRC funded project on smart cities in the making learning from Milton Keynes. So I think today's talk will touch on many of these research projects and interests. Her talk is entitled Feeling the Future City, Digital Devices, Big Data, and Being Human. Uh, Gillian, we are very much uh, looking forward to your talk after this long delay. And it's, of course, in a way, very fitting that you're going to deliver your, your, your talk as a, through an online format, given the topic. So you're very welcome. We are very much looking forward to your talk. I'll hand over to you now. Hey, thanks so much, Anne, and thank you very much for the invitation to give this lecture. I, I was honoured to uh, to receive to receive it, and I only wish I could be, uh, you know, in in Dublin with you. Uh, so, as as Anne uh, introduced me, uh, I'm um, a cultural uh, geographer, and I've been interested for a long while now in uh, how cities become visible. 
who sees cities, uh, who, who pictures cities in what kinds of ways, uh, and what's done with those images, uh, and what kind of effects they then have in the world. And uh, I'm currently really interested in the ways in which digital technologies are being used to create new ways of picturing uh, and constituting urban spaces, and also particularly the inhabitants of those spaces. Uh, now, clearly, uh, there are very long histories of picturing cities and their residents and their workers, their tourists and so on, in fine art, in film, architecture, art, phot photography. Uh, there are also the maps and diagrams of planners, uh, documentary photography, photojournalism, tourism snaps, computer games, you know, we, we could go uh, on and on. And of course, more and more of those images now are being made using digital technologies of, of, of many kinds. Um, and many of those digitally made images continue to be deeply shaped by non-digital traditions of picturing urban spaces, uh, both in terms of what cities are, are, are pictured like, but also in terms of how those images then get seen. So, uh, for example, to take one uh, increasingly uh, uh, common and popular kind of digital visualisation that you'll see as you stroll around many cities in the world now, uh, these are billboards around building sites which, which picture you, to you what, what the project, the building uh, project is going to look like when, when it's finished. Uh, and what you'll often find uh, in those, uh, on those billboards in small writing in one, one corner uh, is, is a kind of disclaimer that this is a computer generated image, that it's indicative only uh, of what the, the development's going to look like, or in this case, what the view from your incredibly expensive balcony in the, in the new development in East London is going to look like. Uh, and I think that disclaimer is interesting because uh, it kind of assumes perhaps that the advertisers of this project are worried that because these images kind of look like photographs and indeed parts of them are actually cut and pasted photographs. Um, you know, they look like photographs, they're in a place where we are used to seeing photographs, they're, they're on an advertising hoarding. Uh, and, and therefore, you know, but they might well be seen as a photograph, seen in the same way that photographs are seen as some kind of evidential record of, of, a, of a kind of reality. And perhaps if someone buys their flat and doesn't get that view, you know, the advertisers are going to be sued for, for, for misleading. So for me, that points to an important sort of theoretical uh, starting point though as well, which is that the effects of an image, um, including its kind of truth claims, are always about both what it shows and how it's seen. So images and viewers kind of co-produce the effects of uh, any particular image. Uh, and this is what John Berger a long time ago now called what ways of seeing. And of course, you know, generations of film theory scholars, for example, have approached this in, in all sorts of ways. So what I want to talk a bit about this afternoon uh, is, is what happens to uh, ways of seeing, uh, ways of uh, looking and ways of being seen in cities when images of cities are made, distributed and looked at with and on digital devices in, in, in digital, uh, in, in urban, urban uh, locations, in, in city streets. And what I'd like to propose in this talk is that although particular digital images can be seen as looking like uh, kind of pre-digital images, like these uh, sort of pseudo photographs, uh, um, and, and indeed, you know, we might look at some of them in the same ways as we, as we would look at pre-digital uh, images. Uh, in fact, uh, I'd like to propose that they're, they're quite fundamentally refiguring the kind of visualities and spatialities through which uh, cities and, and, and bodies in city spaces are, are being configured. And I want to approach that larger question in this lecture by thinking about the imagery that surrounds this thing called the smart city. As, as Anne said, that's based on some recent research uh, of mine. Um, but the idea of the smart city uh, is um, uh, a kind of global phenomenon in terms of um, uh, current urban policy making. And indeed, uh, this week has seen the uh, annual uh, expo uh, for smart city um, uh, policy and practice. It's usually held in Barcelona and this year it, it's gone online. Um, uh, so uh, for those of you who, who are not perhaps familiar with uh, the idea of a smart city, although um, Dublin uh, does pitch itself as, as smart, so it'd be interesting to see if you all have any uh, thoughts from your own uh, urban encounters uh, in, in, in Dublin uh, in relation to smart. Uh, a smart city is a city that harvests uh, big data, digital data, usually from a whole range of sensors either built into its environment or from uh, the way that urban inhabitants use their smartphones and the data that that's generated. 
uh, and that data is then put to various uses. And this is, um, this is an advert for uh, a smart city product. Uh, Labelium is, is a Spanish company that makes uh, environmental sensors that you can embed into your uh, env uh, urban environment in different ways. I, I quite like this uh, advert. It does get used quite a lot actually to sort of exemplify smart. But, but I, was, I think it was, it's quite funny that there's a nuclear power station sort of right smack bang in the middle of this city, which doesn't seem very smart to me, but at least we've got sensors there that will be able to tell us if the radiation levels start to, uh, start to rise. Um, so uh, th this kind of data that's generated from all these potential different sources in the city, uh, it's argued, can generate, for example, economic growth for, for an urban region by allowing sort of innovative new product design that works with that data availability. Uh, it's argued that uh, big digital data can enhance urban environmental sustainability uh, by managing the more efficient use of resources, electricity, water, transport. Uh, uh, it's often pitched to local authorities as a way that they can uh, deliver um, services more efficiently and therefore save money. Um, and it's also sometimes suggested, although this, this is much more contentious, that it, it may also support more open forms of city government. Uh, you know, perhaps you can interact and some of the data on your smartphone you can send to your government could be a kind of uh, polling or sort of referenda kind of, uh, kind of uh, greater interaction with, uh, with, with the local authority. So those are some of the kind of claims that are made on behalf of smart cities by their advocates, uh, many of whom, of course, are trying to sell bits of smart city kits. So a lot of it is clearly is clearly hype. But nonetheless, I think smartness and, and sort of digital mediation of urban spaces more broadly is absolutely central to how cities are planning for their for their futures. And digital images of, all, of many, many different kinds are central to pretty much all aspects of a smart city. So these are lots of different kinds of images. They can be still photographs uh, can, or computer generated, or they can be moving, uh, sort of film, video, or animations. Um, they picture smart cities in many different ways. So sometimes they're graphic or diagrammatic, like, like this advert. Uh, and very often they're, they're kind of pedagogic, as well as trying to sell something, they have to explain what, what smart is. And again, this, uh, this graphic does, does, uh, is typical of that. Very often they are cartographic, in that many uh, smart city visuals uh, are uh, real, real time or nearly real time sort of data feeds of, of uh, spatial distributions of different kinds. So I, you know, I could have chosen millions of examples. This one happens to come from Oxford. It, uh, it, it shows um, uh, the feed from a number of sensors uh, on the river network that runs through Oxford to uh, indicate flood risk. Um, sometimes these images are sort of more or less photorealistic, shall we say, you know, rather like those billboards, they're computer generated images that try to evoke uh, what, this, uh, what these cities are going to look like. So here we've got uh, on the top uh, left, Songdo in South Korea, uh, Sidewalk in, in Toronto, which is uh, Google's uh, smart city project now, um, I think on hold. Uh, and then the, the bottom image is Milton Keynes uh, in, in, in the UK. But also, of course, uh, there are much more sort of fantastical, imaginary, uh, images uh, of what uh, of what smart is look like look like the uh, the interface of apps and and big urban screens are often integrated into smart city um, uh, projects and then finally we have online kind of data city data dashboards um, this is London's uh, Rob Kitchen has written about the uh, development of Dublin's uh, smart city dashboard as well. And then finally, uh, there's been some interest in the way in which many of these different images, by no means all, but become collated together in uh, operation centres, which are kind of control hubs, which work, as you can see in this example from Rio de Janeiro, you know, through screens to bring all this data together, integrate it, and then, and then manage it in, in particular ways. And, in, and I think that's a really important point to make, that all of these images circulate through many different media, they materialise in many different forms, you know, in, in uh, operation centres like this, but in Twitter feeds, on, in expo stands, uh, as we would have had in Barcelona uh, this week if we'd been there, uh, um, been able to, to have a face-to-face -face event there. Uh, they appear on websites and Facebook channels, as PDFs, printed ephemera, newspaper reports, you know, and, and, and so on and so on, indeed in academic papers uh, as well. And they all gather to them in those different contexts, different forms of kind of ways of dealing with them, different ways of seeing them and, and different enactments that then follow. Uh, and I think um, this image is, is quite widely circulated as a sort of archetypal uh, smart city operations center. And, and you can see lots of 
people for some reason in white coats. I don't quite understand why you need to uh, wear a white coat uh, to, to be uh, in, a, in this sort of office environment. But I think it's probably to kind of convey the sense that this is lots of kind of scientific, you know, objective management of, of uh, an urban environment through uh, digital data flows. But the windows behind the windows on, on, the, on the top uh, right of, of that room uh, are uh, they're actually uh, television studios. Uh, and uh, a couple of geographers, Simon Marvin and Andres Luke Ayala, have written some really interesting essays about this space and, and what it's doing and have pointed out that as well as all this kind of uh, technocratic urban governance going on, um, there's also uh, those same images or some of them are plugged into networks of kind of mass media as well. And clearly they'll, you know, those same images will get viewed in very different ways in, in, in those different contexts as they circulate. Now, these whole range of images haven't been given an awful lot of attention by scholars of smart cities, um, with the exception of this one, actually, or, or at least the screens in, in the operations centre. Uh, and um, the way that the, these images are often um, sort of described to the extent that they have got any attention is simply as um, the sort of latest manifestation of, of a kind of panoptic surveillance state or indeed uh, corporation. Uh, that this is a way of, of, of kind of policing urban environments. Um, and I think that is a, a really uh, valid and important uh, critique of this kind of uh, urban visual surveillance. I think it often exaggerates its effectiveness, actually, but nonetheless, uh, certainly in, in the broader context of uh, big data being gathered and used in, in cities now, um, many police forces are also working with da big data to surveil you know, particular bodies, particular neighbourhoods. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of attention being given to the ways in which large corporations, uh, Facebook is the sort of current villain of the piece, you know, extracting social data from everyday social media use, uh, you know, analysing it and then, and then selling it uh, for, for, various, uh, for various ends. And this has produced discussions about, uh, you know, the latest form of capitalism, you know, should be described as platform capitalism, this sense that data is integrated through these platforms. Uh, to make profit, or, or surveillance capitalism is another phrase that's, uh, that, that's been used. So clearly, uh, this digital picturing uh, of, of cities is absolutely not just an issue for uh, sort of cultural geographers or architects or planners, uh, cartographers anymore. I think also it really is beginning to bleed into questions of uh, how uh, the urban is being experienced by, uh, by bodies, by humans uh, right now, and how it's increasingly being mediated by actually an extensive range of digital technologies. And I think the work of uh, critical race theorists like uh, Ruha Benjamin and Sophia Noble on how digital platforms embed certain kinds of racialized knowledges uh, and on the integration of much of this uh, big data work, especially uh, in the States, uh, with policing and surveillance, uh, and I'm thinking of the work of Simone Brown and Brian Jordan Jefferson here, you know, that, that body of scholarship makes absolutely clear that the visual organisation of, corpor of corporeality in cities through these forms of, of uh, visuals remain uh, absolutely one of the most fundamental forms of, uh, of, of contemporary power. However, I think the focus on surveillance, the exclusive focus on surveillance and data extraction does tends to uh, downplay or uh, you know, what else might be going on in terms of visualising the human or, or I think what I'm going to start calling the post-human you know, with, with the digital inhabitation of, of cities. And I want, I want to try and sort of not, not ignore those critiques but just put them to one side for the rest of this uh, talk and think a bit more about uh, the kind of wider field of smart imagery and, and what it might tell us perhaps about these broader questions of, of being human in, in the digitally mediated city. And I want to do that by looking at images of smart cities on social media. I'm going to show you some uh, promotional videos that I've tracked down on YouTube uh, by some of the large corporations like IBM who are very invested in, uh, in the smart city. Uh, and I also want to uh, show you um, some of the ways in which uh, smart cities are pictured uh, on photographs that, that are posted on Twitter. Uh, and, and the point of uh, those, uh, um, uh, that empirical material really, is to uh, explore three, three things. Firstly, I want to spend a bit of time thinking about how bodies are represented in smart city imagery, because there's no doubt there's a very particular um, kind of politics to, to that representation. 
then I want to, to turn a bit more to a kind of theoretical section around how we might think about, in, in a slightly different register, how bodies are being digitally mediated visually through this uh, uh, big data um, uh, context. And then finally, uh, and, and in that second section, I'll introduce this notion of, of the animatic or, or animation. Uh, I then want to um, turn to perhaps a different way of trying to think about what, what, we, what, what we look for uh, when we're looking for how bodies are, are pictured in, uh, in, in SMART. So uh, let me start with the uh, promotional videos made by Smart City Corporation selling hardware and software. And as I said, I, I've gathered a bunch of these from, from YouTube. And I think what's interesting about them is, is that they rarely pitch particular products. What they're um, trying to do uh, is, is kind of evoke what it would be like to, uh, to live and or to manage uh, a, smart, uh, a smart city. Uh, so generally, of course, they're very uh, sort of enthusiastic about smart cities uh, and you know, the wonderful futures that they're going to bring us. And, uh, and I'll just um, let a few of them uh, uh, run while I, uh, while I talk about them uh, more in general. Uh, I'm not going to uh, play the soundtrack, although if anybody's interested in it, I, you know, there's interesting things to say about the soundtrack. But I just want to show you them. Uh, and uh, and the, the question of kind of animation and, and mobility is very important to the kind of things I want to explore later in, in the lecture. So uh, I'm hoping that this is going to run, uh, run smoothly. So um, the starting point for most of these videos is urban population growth, actually, and, and cities are always uh, pitched as a problem, entering a, a really problematic uh, moments in their development. Um, uh, IBM, for example, in one of its videos calls cities multiple problem spaces uh, and, and uh, say population growth, rarely climate change actually, rather surprisingly, but things like water supply, air quality, public safety, transport comes again and again as, as, as a problem that, that smart uh, technologies can, can fix. Many of the videos start with an aerial view of the city and, and the kind of camera point of view then sort of zooms in to very often, and this graphic one is, is a little bit of an exception here, to footage of, of crowded streets and immediately uh, the, the viewer sees pictures of, of, kind of busy public spaces full of traffic and, and crowds on platforms and you know, markets and shopping centres uh, and the overall impression is immediately, you know, kind of really crowded space packed full of uh, buildings, people and traffic. So, you know, it, it, there's never any like really boring suburb in SMART <laughs> and very few of the videos look at domestic spaces either and again, we can come back to that if, if people are interested. So the human in SMART cities is very often represented as a crowd, as an agglomeration to use or it happens term. Uh, and it's shown as a, as a mobile mass very often and, and people in cities Nice timing there, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a crowd, they're always on the move. Uh, and and the, the management of mobility, uh, traffic management, but also uh, you know, water, transport, electricity is absolutely central to these visions of, of smart. People are always shown using forms of transport, many forms, cars, buses, wheelchairs, pushchairs, scooters, you know, you name it. And if they're not driving, pedaling or being uh, pushed along, they're, they're walking or, um, you know, if they're pausing and, uh, and waiting for something, it's usually a, a kind of problem, pictures a problem that, that smart tech is going to fix. And of course, many of these bodies are also constantly looking at screens. They have digital prostheses, very often uh, smartphones. And these processes are always pictured as transmitting and receiving data. And here we go. There's the kind of laptop and the sensors and the circulation with this kind of blue be fascinating to do a history of where, why we think we have to picture the digital through blue pulsing lines of light, but it's absolutely the, the, the sort of standard format for, for picturing this uh, generation gathering integration of, of big digital data. Now, of course, it's not just humans and their smartphones generating uh, data in these smart cities. So too uh, do all sorts of devices. You will have seen some of them, uh, you know, cars, uh, buildings, uh, air quality data, river water levels, rubbish bins that signal when they're full, parking spaces signaling to cars and so on. Um, and so in these videos, you know, more broadly, what we've got are, are crowds of things, including uh, bodies, being translated into data, being converted into data streams, in, into networks, as we can see here, smoothly flowing, interconnected, 
converging into a smart urbanism of, of integrated systems. And there's a whole bunch of kind of systems theory that, that we, we could bring in here in a, in a longer, longer discussion. Um, so uh, what I want to point out uh, uh, also though, and I'm sure you've already begun to pick up on that, and I also want to think, ask you to think about what you have been seeing in these images. Um, what I also want to point out is that clearly bodies are also pictured, inhabitants of various kinds of this city. Uh, and one particular body that gets pictured very often are, are the leaders or the, the experts that are somehow going to uh, lead, you know, bring the rest of us into this brave new world of, of media, uh, digitally mediated urbanism. Uh, and I'm sure as you, uh, many of you will have already noticed, um, most of the filmed interviews in particular have, the timing is, is, going, is going great, it's not going to last like this, talking head interviews with leaders, um, uh, almost all of whom, almost without exception, uh, are uh, white uh, men who are either elected officials or uh, kind of uh, the sort of data managers or technocrats who, who are going to do the, the sort of provide the, all this uh, fantastic tech. Uh, the visual coding of the inhabitants of cities is uh, uh, a little, uh, is more diverse, I think, but also really quite conventional, you know, given this is the brave new world, um, you know, some things really don't seem to have changed a great deal. So individuals uh, interacting with their screen and its data to generate the data, you know, they are always individuals, uh, apart from this crowd that needs managing. There's no visualization of, of kind of collectives coming together to use uh, uh, social media as, as a group. It's always a, a kind of one, you know, an individual generation of, of data through the individual smart device. Um, uh, if kids are shown, they're almost always accompanied by uh, uh, women. Uh, apparently, if you ever do get a domestic site uh, scene, uh, you know, it's only women who shop or cook. Uh, old bodies are generally only pictured uh, resting, uh, actually I can change to a still graphic here to demonstrate this, shown resting or, or indeed in healthcare situations. So if you're old, you tend to be a bit frail and a bit ill. And in those contexts, and you can see this again, you, you, you tend to be sort of being looked after by, by a body that conventionally you, know, you would decode as, uh, as female. So as representations then, uh, these videos are clearly really selective ways of thinking about the city. Uh, they are very different from what Rob Kitchen warns us will actually without doubt be the reality of buggy, brittle and hackable uh, smart cities. Um, and actually, you know, I, I think their representational qualities are really easy to critique on those kind of lines. I mean, you know, we all know, of course, that Wi-Fi drops. Uh, uh, you know, and, and uh, so your devices are suddenly dead bits of, you know, sort of metal and glass in your hand rather than these amazing, uh, you know, kind of managerial devices. Um, you know, we know that bodies in cities are not so uh, predominantly white. You know, we know that the kind of glossy buildings uh, that we see in those computer generated images only ever appear, in fact, in uh, advertising hoardings and maybe uh, the kind of uh, sci-fi movies that are also often generated using very similar sorts of software. Uh, and as uh, Zlatan Krajina has shown in his excellent book on how people, you know, what people actually do with their digital devices in cities, we are all actually very adept at ignoring all these kind of digital uh, blandishments, certainly the visuals, although of course, even if your phone isn't showing anything, it's still generating, it's still generating data. So there's a whole critique there, uh, and, and, and I want, it's a critique I want to acknowledge, but and I, also, I also want to change gear a little bit and say, well, uh, and ask you to, to reflect on the sort of terms of that critique. Because as I say, in a way, I think we're all really um, uh, familiar with that form of, of criticism. Uh, it's, it's an easy uh, position for us to take as, as sort of academics, but I think also, you know, particularly when I, I used to go out talking to more general audiences about the computer generated images on, on development, you know, everybody is really cynical about them. You know, we all know they're just trying to sell something and, you know, we, we all you know, can, can, can all do our sort of critical cultural studies 101, you know, critiques uh, on them. Um, uh, and, and, and what I want to do is suggest that perhaps if we are uh, you know, going to really engage with what's going on in, uh, in these uh, uh, images, it, you know, that representational critique may, may no longer be, be quite fit for purpose, if you like. Um, and I certainly think that uh, while uh, thinking about what forms of bodies are represented in these images and the kinds of very particular forms of social difference that are being visualised, scripted and represented in these uh, disciplinary visual regimes. I think that the representational is not the only critical tool that, that we need. 
Uh, and here I'm going to start turning to a bunch of theorists who are interested in the non or the unrepresented. Uh, um, certainly geographers will be familiar with the work of Nigel Thrift and Scott Lash. But I, I want to uh, now move on to uh, think about, draw more on the work of, of, of kind of feminist body of scholarship, uh, Patricia Ticinito-Clough uh, and uh, Deborah Levitt uh, among them, to think about how uh, digital technologies and their, these flows of data is, is recalibrating both uh, the, uh, the, the, the urban, but, but also uh, the, the, the post-human and, and, and its forms of of embodiment in, in quite differentiated kinds, uh, kinds of ways. So, uh, as I say, this is a bit of a kind of theoretical interlude. Uh, I'll, I'll try not to make it too uh, sort of dense and abstract, but I will be turning back to some uh, visuals uh, in, in the third section. So, uh, Patricia Tishinito Clough was the co-editor of the, uh, the Affect Handbook, I think, so it might, she might be a name that you are uh, familiar with. And, uh, and Clough is interested in the notion of, of affect and, and turns to it as a way to theorise in quite a broad, broad ranging critique, a kind of change in, in, in the current moment that, that, that we're living through. Uh, for Clough, affect uh, refers to the pre-individual capacities to self-form, and so she's interested as a kind of uh, sort of post-Deleuzean, I suppose, around notions of, of indeterminacy, of potentiality, of emergence and mutation. And a really important step in her argument is that while some affect may produce the bodies that we think we know, the bodies that I've been describing in those, uh, in those images, uh, the bodies I think that we most often perhaps imagine that we inhabit, what she describes as the body as organism, which is the corporeally bounded body with a surface onto which the signs of gender and race are inscribed and can therefore be decoded in, in the kind of critique that, that I, uh, we just went through. Uh, affect may also produce you know, in this kind of mutable emergent uh, aspect other forms of embodiment. Uh, and indeterminate matter may be configured, in fact, in, in any number of, of other ways. Uh, and so she um, wants to encourage us to move, and she's certainly not the only uh, author to be doing this, and there's many, many, but uh, to think of it that we might be moving from a moment of, of, of kind of bio, the biopolitical, uh, and she draws on Foucault here, um, a moment where uh, populations are produced and managed, uh, and that certainly remains part of SMART, uh, I think, without doubt. But, but SMART is also part of a move beyond the, the, the Foucauldian understanding of the biopolitical towards a Deleuzean uh, sense of societies of control, in which configurations of digital data distribute uh, agency. Uh, and as part of that, that, that's the kind of broader process in which I'd like to propose that we are perhaps moving from, or at least uh, um, alongside uh, represented bodies, uh, re representational images of bodies, uh, are being uh, uh, supplemented with other forms of, uh, of embodiment. And, and here I want to turn to Deborah Levitt's recent book on animation, which I found very useful and provocative for thinking through what this might mean in a visual register in particular. So again, Levitt has rather a sort of sweeping historical account, but she suggests that animation uh, is, is the kind of dominant visual medium of our time. Uh, and she's interested in animation, not so much as a kind of technique, uh, a technology, uh, but rather because it's a kind of visualization that moves us away from questions about ontology uh, and category and being. And I would suggest that, you know, perhaps when we do our representational critiques, we're sort of reading from category, from kind of gender or race on that scripted body to uh, a kind of sense of being. So animation moves us away from that towards questions of appearance, metamorphosis and affect. Uh, and she's interested in, in hand-drawn cartoons as the earliest kind of, of animations. Uh, but, uh, but what she's particularly in, uh, argues is that digital technologies kind of amplify the possibilities of hand-drawn um, animations. And in particular, she's really interested in the way that animations allow for apparently uh, sort of impossible things to be seen. Things can get transformed and mutated. Non-Cartesian spatialities can be, represent, uh, can be uh, enacted. Uh, uh, non-linear temporalities can, can be experienced. Uh, and for Levitt, um, animation is a way of thinking about, uh, and this is a quote, uh, how new forms of life and vitality emerge at the spectator screen intersection as this transforms over time. 
So what I want to propose is that um, as well as thinking about what smart cities represent, we might also think about what they animate, in, in what ways are they animational or animatic as well as, uh, as, well as representational. And that, that to me, you know, is maybe useful because one of the things that's always puzzled me about the kind of visuals that I showed you so far is, is you know, why, you know, they're not cheap to make those, especially the, the, the computer generated, uh, um, you know, kind of photorealist image, you know, they take a lot of time and effort to make those sort of images. Why are the companies investing all this, you know, in, into images that I think most of us are either sceptical about or, or really quite bored by, you know, I think most of us, you know, these images are either ridiculously fantastical or utterly banal, you know, they don't seem to work really as very persuasive devices in that representational regime. So maybe actually, they're, they're trying to do something different. Uh, maybe they, they're not asking or, or um, inviting a kind of representational uh, way, way of seeing. So that leads me to wonder whether the bodies in these images are not actually, or at least there are other bodies in these images that are not the body's organism, the represented body, the body with those signs of social difference scripted visually on, on their skin. Uh, perhaps uh, there are other kinds of bodies that we may need to cultivate a way, a way to see. So uh, I think I'm, I'm sort of encouraged to, to think that through a little bit more uh, in, in uh, because Clough is, is particularly interested in, uh, you know, she also turns to digital technologies and points to the ways in which um, big data is partly manipulated by human agency, but of course much of it is also uh, um, analysed algorithmically. Uh, and she talks about the ways in which algorithms are put to work in big data sorting that's designed to collate seemingly unrelated sets of data with the intention of producing novel social relations. And for her, this is significant because it means that uh, emergent patterns within data uh, start to replace a sense of, of kind of correspondence between data and some sort of, uh, of reality. Uh, and, and the theorist, uh, um, I can't remember her first name, Rouvray also uh, talks about how algorithms spare humans the burden of interpreting and evaluating events of the world. It spares us the meaning-making processes of transcription or representation. Again, so we're moving beyond the representational here. Um, and I think this is, this is intriguing because um, uh, these, and it invites us to perhaps think about the images that I've been showing you really, you know, less as images, if you like, uh, although clearly they draw on long traditions of, of uh, non-digital images, as I was suggesting, but, but more as, as, as data. So if we try to look at these images less as things that are sort of photographs, but not quite, or things that are sort of films, but not quite, and actually thought of them as particular kinds of data, well, well how, you know, what, what would that encourage us to, to, to see? What kind of bodies might it, it, it create as, as a form of, uh, as a particular kind of way of seeing? Uh, and here the, uh, I found the work of uh, Herzl and Marie and their discussions of what they call a soft image really, uh, um, really helpful. Um, they, they talk you know, absolutely about while so many of these images now, while they may look like a geometric projection on our screen, in fact, inextricably uh, uh, digital uh, and mixed up with data and the continuing processing of data. Uh, so we're no longer looking at solid representations of a solid world. Uh, but actually what we're looking at is, as, is a ubiquitous, infinitely adaptable and intrinsically merged with software. Uh, and that's what they call a, a soft image. So I'm now going to show you another animation. Uh, this one is made by uh, Siemens, um, the, the, the German company. Again, um, uh, as part of a, of a way of sort of selling the idea of smart city, it was actually, uh, I'll, I'll start playing it while I talk over it. I apologise for the poor, um, poor resolution. So the, the format of this, and this is where all these interesting, uh, you know, kind of histories come into play again. This, this is, uh, it was originally designed as a panorama in an exhibition space that Siemens built in London's Docklands. So uh, in its sort of main format, uh, it's sort of kind of wrapped around screen and you sort of sit in the middle while this uh, thing plays around you. But of course, to get it classic, you know, it also appears on their website and uh, many academic presentations indeed I've given, I found it incredibly productive and interesting to think through. So as with so many digital images, it, it, it travels. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like, to, uh, I'll, I'll give a little bit of, sort of hints here, is, is to think of looking at it 
for its digitality and, and, and what, what might that mean? So uh, I, th I think that uh, it, it's, it's digital and, 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 it's, and it's a digital animation. Uh, and uh, in, in terms of its animatory qualities, I think what's really uh, key here is this con is the constant emphasis on, on metamorphosis, on, on change, um, which Levitt says is, is central to, to, to animation as, as a visual technique. So in this video, as with so many smart city videos, uh, animation and flow are used to show uh, digital infrastructures. We've got here the kind of flows of data. But what we're also seeing is a, an incredible flow in terms of the kind of visual content itself. You know, the, the point of view is constantly moving and we're constantly shifting between multiple screens and different um, genres and media, if you like. So we've got a bit of film here. We've got an interactive screen. We're back to a 3D model, um, you know, which kind of, I guess, architects would be perhaps more familiar with remote sensing. Here we are. We've got an aerial, you know, photo, you know, it's, and then it merges into something quite quite different so this constant metamorphosis uh, i think is is really uh critical to the kind of you know this sense of sort of feel of viewing a way of seeing i want to start to, to evoke uh, and i think of course um in terms of this change and and fluidity and mobility uh it's also really important that as i've said already another really important part of this image is that um i'm showing it to you now on this screen it was screened in a different format in the exhibition center and, and it continues to be shown and traveling uh, in different formats because it's a digital uh, file. I mean, this is rather less mobile than some others, of course, because it's this immense uh, uh, image file, which is why I'm showing it to you at quite low resolution, because uh, I, I think the whole PowerPoint would probably crash if I, if I had it at all, it's kind of mega te terabyte kind of full, full glory. Um, but if I just skip out of that for a moment, uh, you know, this mobility of images, I think, is really, really important. And here's Rubenstein and Sluis talking about uh, um, a very quite a relatively early moment of, of um, popular photography when uh, the shift from analog to digital photography, you know, in kind of everyday uses was enabled not only by cameras, but also by increasingly seamless connection between cameras other viewing devices like computers, and more recently, of course, then phones and, and social media platform. So a digital image is always, you know, inherently a networked image. They appear at uh, different screens in different forms at different sites. They're shared and favorited. Uh, and for Rubenstein and Swiss, that this encourages to, is to think about not just the image, which we might give this very careful decoding attention to, but actually a pool, a feed. Uh, something more akin to uh, to live transmission. Uh, Herzl and Marie, again, to quote them, talk about um, images now as simply being a tentative view of, of actually a database. Uh, uh, what we're looking at is a question of access, transfer, update, uh, and, and refresh. So if we um, you know, think about that more broadly in terms of that huge range of smart city images I talked about uh, in, uh, earlier, um, this is a, a quote from DM Withers, who, who uses Stiegler to talk about this kind of huge stratified constellation of what she describes as technical memory matter, the sort of database that Herzl and Maria are talking about, this enormous kind of cloud or you know, something uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, 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 of data, many of which you know, will materialize as different kinds of digital images, uh, moving constantly in different directions, forms changing as content migrates, it accrues or sheds textures in, 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 the, in the process. Um, so let's go back to the Siemens uh, video uh, for, for a little bit and give you a second, perhaps I'll try and scoot to a slightly later point in it. You can uh, see it as, it as it tracks forward. So um, what I want to suggest then is that what all this is perhaps leading up to, uh, if we think about this image as, as exemplifying this, these forms of digitality rather than picturing cities, is I think there are implications then for, for us as, uh, as, as viewers. And here I want to come back to this question of, of mobility, both kind of visual um, mutability and change, the, the mobility of, of the image itself but, and the mobility of, of, of the data. Because what I've been implying is that bodies in the smart city can no longer be thought of just in terms of features distributed on epidermal surfaces. Because what we've got here are many bodies being managed as data through other forms of, uh, of data analysis. And for Clough, this means that embodiment can't be contained within the organic skin. Um, 
And Jennifer Gabris has talked about, uh, you know, what we are now uh, are ambient and malleable urban operators that are expressions of computer environments. Uh, and for Clough, uh, uses the term non-represented for these kind of emergent, data-saturated, data-formed uh, experiential uh, uh, embodiments. Um, uh, and, and as I say, for, for uh, Levitt, perhaps the term would be an animated, uh, animated bodies. So if we look at this video uh, and ask where are the bodies, and clearly it pictures bodies, but I think for me also, uh, it's absolutely critical that, that if this is a way of seeing, you know, we as viewers are also being configured in quite different ways, I think, by these sorts of animations. You know, we're no longer asked to be the sort of critical analytical eye decoding the representations of the image. Uh, what we're asked to do is become this kind of constantly hovering, mobile, zooming, fluid kind of way of seeing ourselves, looking at images on different screens in different places with perhaps a more distracted glance because, you know, the kind of scale and the multiplicity of them. Um, and Thomas Alsacer is one film theorist who's written about uh, what he describes as, as the default value of digital vision. Um, and like Levitt, actually, he, he doesn't suggest this is unique to, to, to digitality. He suggests panoramas, actually, interestingly, do, do, we're trying to do a similar thing. Uh, but the idea that we're doing away with horizons, suspending vanishing points, seamlessly varying distance, unchaining the camera and transporting the observer. Um, and the next time any of you go check out, uh, uh, you know, a kind of Marvel superhero movie uh, on, on you know, your streaming platform of choice, if you start to look for zooms and, 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 and mobile points of view and, and camera shots that go through physical uh, uh, you know, ba ba barriers and so on, it, it's everywhere actually now, uh, this kind of, of viewpoint. And we are being, as I say, this kind of fluid, malleable, flexible kind of body is, is, the, uh, is the kind of embodiment we're, we're being asked to occupy. Okay, so very briefly, I want to end with um, uh, my third section, uh, which is to um, think about, okay, if, if something new is happening, if the bodies are not just the represented bodies that we, that we look at, although of course we've also constituted ourselves as a kind of an analyst at the same moment, if now we are being sort of incorporated and animated and mobilized uh, with these images as we look at them in all their you know, kind of fluid mobile um, uh, qualities, uh, how, how might then as social scientists, or indeed humanities scholars, what, what kind of, um, you know, sort of methodological implications does this have really, I suppose, for how we think about how we analyse images? And I think this is quite important because, um, you know, I, I kind of feel that we are part of this, you know, whether we like it or not. And I do find some of the critics of, of, of sort of platform capitalism and data extraction and so on, they do take you know, very critical stance as if this is all just awful and it's got nothing to do with them and they're going to do the kind of radical criticism of it. Um, actually, you know, I think we, you know, it's a bit too late for that now. We, we are all part of this in one way or another. Uh, and I think rather more sort of experimental and perhaps rather more tentative uh, forms of critique, you know, could be, uh, you know, perhaps more appropriate. So uh, my very modest uh, um, uh, sort of intervention in terms of trying to think about how we might see differently and how we might have a different form of um, engagement as, as analysts of some kind, you know, deeply involved in this moment, uh, would be to turn to software as a partner in our endeavour, because it's out there and that's what we're interested in, so let's bring it into our, into our methodology. Uh, and to perhaps think about data visualizations as an interesting field of, of activity. Now, I'd, uh, and um, uh, I'm going to show you uh, a visualization that I created using open source software, so uh, it doesn't have to be anything too sort of fancy, uh, using um, uh, some software created by Lev Manovich, media studies scholar. It's called ImagePlot. And this is uh, 9,000 images, uh, roughly, that I downloaded. Actually, I didn't download. That did need somebody with proper <laughs> expertise. Um, I had someone download for me uh, from Twitter that were attached to tweets with smart city hashtags of one kind or another. And what ImagePlot does is uh, distribute them by, well, you, you can tweak the settings, but the default is to distribute them by color in this kind of color wheel. 
So what we've got and what we can see here is that smart cities, smart cities generally, we, we um, might think of it en masse, not the critical eye of the representation of the individual, but as a big mega field, uh, you know, the database of Herzl-Marie or the constellation of Withers, en masse as a large scale visualization, we can say that it's blue and kind of browny orange. And uh, parts of me wants to just stop there and say that colour may be something that we need to start thinking through or feeling or being animated by. Um, uh, and it's interesting, this is the default uh, of the image plot software, uh, because uh, Nigel Thrift um, also talks quite a lot actually about colour um, being part of sort of contemporary digital capitalism and its manufacture of rolling worlds, its emergent expressive infrastructure, he says. Uh, a new art of illumination, as he describes it, is absolutely part of that, which is the glow of screens. Um, you know, blue and orange might not signify very much, but they give us a kind of affective tenor to our inhabitation of, of digital spaces. So I could say more about that, uh, that image. Uh, I, I did more things with that data set, and I'm happy to expand on that, but I'm conscious of time. So the very last, so I, I'll conclude now, just by... Um, uh, a few, very few uh, points. Um, so, uh, representational politics and indeed exploitive labour relations remain really important forms of, of critique that we need to continue making, I think, in terms of the digital mediation of, uh, uh, of cities. But I think also alongside that, given that data, digital data is, is pervasive, is, is doing particular things, is being put to very specific uses, I think we also perhaps need to be thinking about a different kind of theoretical vocabulary, perhaps one that is, um, as I say, considering ways in which we might work with software or particular kinds of software. Um, you know, we, we are uh, to really work through the consequences of, of that digital mediation that we're interested in. And I think in terms of, of ways of seeing, you know, I, I'm particularly interested in thinking then about forms of embodiment, not only in terms of how bodies um, are pictured, but also in terms of how we, uh, as analysts, I don't know quite what we would call ourselves, but as, as fellow travellers perhaps in this moment, how we might then think of our own embodiments. And for this image, for me, that's maybe about feeling colour rather than saying, uh, you know, 38.3% of these images, uh, you know, show graphics and this means that. Um, I, I, I try to do that and actually it doesn't work. Uh, I failed miserably. Uh, so there's something about working with the sense of kind of mutability, of reconfigur reconfigurability, uh, and thinking about how we might invent new methods, perhaps, that, that, that speak to that, rather than try to step outside and, and, and offer a, a, that, that analytical view, view only. Thanks for listening to this UCD. Humanities Institute podcast. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, Spotify, and on SoundCloud. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to ucd.ie forward slash humanities.